And it was one of the one of the scariest things that you can do, honestly, is to say, okay, this isn't working. I'm going to have to break up with my agent and try the query trenches yet again. Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. I am your host, author Sarah Nicholas, and literary agent Sarah N. Fisk. Roselle Lim is the critically acclaimed author of Natalie Tan's Book of Luck and Fortune, Vanessa Yu's Magical Paris Tea Shop, and the upcoming Sophie Goes Lonely Hearts Club. She lives on the north shore of Lake Erie and always has an artistic project on the go. So please welcome Roselle to the show. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story today. So we're going to talk about your journey to publication, but we're going to start by going kind of all the way back to the beginning. When did you first start getting interested in writing? And then how long did it take from there before you started getting serious about pursuing publication? I wrote Tiny Toons fanfic when I was a (laughs) kid. And you're laughing because, yeah, that's where it started, right? I enjoyed all my creative writing classes, but I went, I ended up going to art school for a year and then decided, okay, I'm going to go back to university because I miss writing essays. And while (laughs) I was there, I applied to the creative writing program, but I applied a little too late and I was already in my third year and I didn't want to be a forever student and rack up more student debt to pursue that. So I put my dreams on hold had a kid, got married, had a kid. And then I'm like, okay, I got to start writing again. And it it was a very long journey in that I think I wrote seven manuscripts before the one that got picked up by my first agent. Wow. Can you tell us a little bit more about the moment that you realized that you wanted to be a published author, you know, that you wanted people to read what you wrote and see your book on shelves, that kind of thing? Part of it is a bit of a petty wish in that, (laughs) I mean, I'm an immigrant, right? And when I came here, like I managed to barely skip taking ESL lessons. Hmm. And I've had teachers tell me, oh, you're not, your English isn't good enough. You're not gonna, you you won't be able to write a book. And basically this is like me going to do that. I'm like thinking to myself, this is going to be difficult, but I'll show you. And it's like, That's, I know for some people, it's one of those things, you know, they use that as motivation and I, and I did for me. So once you got serious about pursuing publication, how did you learn more about the industry? Like how it worked, how to query, how to find agents, all those different things. First, I, the best, honestly, the best way to learn for me was to join these contests, like Brenda Drake's contest. I was in pitch madness And that was when you have to distill your entire novel into an elevator pitch. And I think you have like first page, I think a first page excerpt or something. And that one, that one allowed me to find great critique partners who pushed me to be a better writer. Because when I started querying, yes, I was one of those terrible newbies when they said include three sample chapters. I'm like, I like chapter one, chapter seven, and chapter 12. <laughs> no. I think I'm just going to include that because those are my favorites. It said three sample chapters, but no, that's not what they meant. Not at all. So you mainly learned like from your critique partners and that kind of thing? 
It is because I find that with every writer to get better, you go through a cycle or a process where one, you can't take any criticism. Like you think criticism is going to break you. Mm -hmm. And then you go too much the other way where you take in every piece of criticism and that would also screw up your writing. And then you finally find the happy middle. I think it really is that like that three-step thing where you can't take any feedback. You take too much feedback and you finally find the right level that you need. So then what happened? Can you break down for us your journey from then to signing your first book contract? Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> my journey is a little bit odd in that when I started doing the contest, I got an offer from a small press that mm -hmm. I turned down. And mm -hmm. eventually it turned out to be one of the best things that I could have done for myself. But sometimes you don't know that that's something that you are supposed you know, that's good for you. Because most mm -hmm. of the time I feel that, you know, as a fledgling writer, you think any offer or anything would be great. So that I did that. I made that decision because the head of the small press contacted me and I did not like how she was mm. like personally it was just one of those things where you go with your gut and you're like mm -hmm. this doesn't none of this feels right and we didn't even get through the contract stage where I think I did ask for it but it there was just so many red flags that are there. And the other thing too is I started looking and digging into it, asking people, what's your experience with this press? What do you do? And it's like, I've been hearing really bad mixed things. And I'm like, yes, I would like to say, you know, I really am eager to get published, but I'm not that desperate to get published. Mm -hmm. I'll just wait and see what happens. All right. And then what happened? <laughs> I started with romance. I started writing romance and then I started writing urban fantasy <laughs> and then I started writing literary. Oh goodness. <laughs> no, sometimes you just don't know honestly where the sweet spot is of what you want to write, like what gives you the most joy and what comes naturally to you. So I, I went through like many different ones and I, when I had the literary, I had that manuscript, I queried it and there was about, I got the offer at like basically query number 120 something. Oh, goodness. So this isn't like me just going, oh, like I use the tactic of if I get a rejection, I'm going to send out one more. Mm. That kind of a thing. And yeah, I got the offer. The agent that is no longer mine, we parted ways, but this is my first agent. She wasn't really that editorial. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of like, shifting you know add a comma here break this up put in whatever and then it went out on submission and crickets mm. and the thing is is that she pulled it back and said okay we're going to revise but based on this not on her notes but she outsourced it to somebody else like one of her assistants who gave me notes mm. and i was looking at it and i was like okay i'll fix it I sent it back and I never really heard from her. But the way that it went down was that I kept asking, oh, have you read? Like, is there an update? Like, it's a friendly nudge. It's been three months. Um, 
have you taken a look at the revision? And what I, the response that I've kept getting back was, oh, um, well, it's not what I had hoped. Mm. And I'm like, okay. It's I, that response to me is designed to make the writer feel bad and to basically cover up the fact that the agent did not read it. And it just, it went around like this for a long time up until to a point where I'm like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't. And it was one of the, one of the scariest things that you can do, honestly, is to say, okay, this isn't working. I'm going to have to break up with my agent and try the query trenches yet again, because this is just not working. And I'd rather have no agent than one that isn't, you know, looking out for me. Mm hmm. So we had like, it was, it was an amicable breakup, really quick one minute phone call, basically. Oh, wow. And it was done. I went back into basically finishing up the manuscript that I had that I was working on. And at that point, again, I'm using my petty batteries of finish <laughs> this. You got to finish this. Yeah. Like just, you have to get this done because you can't, you have to finish like the, the books to query. And that was when Beth Thielen's DV Pit, the first one, rolled around. And I wasn't even planning to enter it until a friend's like, well, why not? Mm -hmm. I'll help you craft your pitch. And it just, from there, I got like a lot of likes from that one. And I've got offers. And honestly, like my dream agent, the one that I, I thought I could never have, was the first one who who basically called me and she, my agent is Jenny Bent and she was very honest. She said, look, I see the potential in this, but you have a long road ahead of you to, we have to like, there's a lot of revisions that need to get done. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm like, she's always been very like just straightforward and honest about everything. She's not going to sugarcoat it. Mm -hmm. And she's like, okay, I want to be the first person that you talk to and the last person that you talk to. <laughs> during that and so I was like okay and I was like this is the agent that I want and then my friend's like are you stupid go say yes now I'm like no that's not fair to the other people you can't just say yes <laughs> but I was like I'm gonna give it a week because normally I think now it's standard two weeks or so right to get mm -hmm. everybody else a chance to read yeah yeah so I was like okay I'm gonna give it a week because I'm just really like I think we connected and after that week I said yes. And it, it wasn't it wasn't like my little pony my my little pony rainbows after this because I went into revisions for close to 2 years before this book was ready on submission. Oh wow. So when I like when I say my journey is basically the family circus like all over the place lines everywhere that's <laughs> that's what happened. It's the funny thing is that like on Twitter and everywhere on social media, you think that it, this just happens overnight and it was just handed to you, these book deals and stuff. They don't see what's going on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I went, we went through multiple, multiple rounds of revision until finally, like I got an email from her that says, yep, just fix this up. I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> we're ready. We're ready to go. She goes, yeah, we're ready to go. And wow. when we went on submission that week, I think there was a snowstorm in New York. At the time, so she was ready to go, and then she's like, "Oh no, no, wait, we can't, because mm -hmm. they won't be in, in at, at their office. We'll wait until whatever." I'm like, "Okay." So we went on submission on Friday morning, 
And by Friday afternoon, there was already an editor who said she was taking it to acquisitions because she finished reading it. Oh, goodness. And everything just kind of went by quickly. It was like a week of like editor calls, talking to people, and then it went into auction after Mm -hmm. that. But like I said, like it's not... I mean, everybody just goes, oh, you you went into, I'm like, you didn't see all the other stuff that I had to (laughs) go through to get to that point. Mm -hmm. And for most writers, sometimes you have to believe that things just happen on its own schedule. Mm -hmm. You want to push it, you want to prod it, because it's definitely not, you know, happening fast enough for you, but it ends up working out on its own timeline. Wow. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. From two years of revisions to one day to an offer, that's quite the change in pace there. All right, it is time. Can you read your successful query letter for us? Natalie Tan traveled the globe to taste all of its wonders, only to return home to San Francisco's Chinatown to confront the death of a reclusive mother. Upon discovering the existence of a family curse, she feels compelled to reopen the noodle shop her mother shunned to learn her grandmother's legacy. Cursed or not, she yearns to connect to her family roots. During the day, she uses her grandmother's recipes to help those in her neighborhood with their lost loves and new prospects. She attempts to be a matchmaker as the ingredients come alive with the magic of their own. Soon she realizes how her grandmother connected people and fostered the community. At night, she struggles to uncover the truth of her mother's tragic life through her diaries. Her mother's wandering and dark thoughts painted the portrait of a stranger instead of the person she loved. In order to understand her family legacy, Natalie needs to find the bridge between her mother and her grandmother. Her family tree casts long shadows, but despite the rumored curse, Natalie is determined to use her talents in the language of food and earn her place in the neighborhood. However, the success of the restaurant means nothing if she fails to escape the demons that haunted her mother. At 69,000 words, Orphan Bird is a literary multicultural novel with magical realism. It will appeal to fans of the quirkiness of Amelie meets Celeste Ng's Everything I Never Told You and Laura Esquivel's Like Water for Chocolate. I have recently parted with my previous agent on amicable terms. I am a Filipino-Chinese writer living in a rural Canadian town with a degree of humanities and history at York University. Awesome. So that was the query that you sent, Jenny, after DV Pet? Yes. And you can see how short it is, 69. (laughs) (laughs) What did it end up being? I think it ended up being actually 75. But Mm. even then, like I changed the genre. It was no longer Mm -hmm. literary, but it it was women's fiction. Mm -hmm. So how has your experience been since signing that first contract? Especially let us know if there were any surprises along the way. The biggest surprise for me is how... The industry treats debuts like weddings. That you have so much fanfare and get your hair done, you get your face (laughs) done, everybody's paying attention to you. And it's all this buildup, you know, pictures, everything right up to the day is just such a huge event. And then your release day happens. 
And then basically it's just such a letdown. This is why everybody suffers from that post release kind of like depression Mm -hmm. because all of that attention that's been on you suddenly dissipates because they have other books to launch. Yeah. And I also find that with sophomore books as well, because you see such a big contrast, it will feel like a letdown in most cases, Mm -hmm. unless let's say you are a, you know, your first, your first book hit the list and you did great. But for the majority of us writers, it's modest and your second book will not get the same push as your first. And for me, releasing my sophomore book during the pandemic, when they were just starting to sort everything out, I was sobbing on my release day. Mm. Because it was just absolutely stressful. Everything was like the entire world is shut down. It was just, it was extremely, it was just extremely stressful. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we're going to switch gears a little bit. It's time for author DNA, which is my quick round. Are you a pantser or a plotter? I'm a planter. Do you tend to be an overwriter or an underwriter? Just about right. Oh, Do you prefer to write in the morning or at nighttime? Morning. When you start with a new project, do you typically start with a character or plot or concept or something else first? A bullet journal full of information. Your bullet journals are beautiful. (laughs) Do you prefer coffee or tea? Bubble tea. Mm. Whenever you're writing, do you prefer silence or some kind of sound? Music. With lyrics. Oh, When it comes to the first draft, are you more of a get it down kind of person or a get it right kind of person? Get it right. What tools or software do you use to draft? Pages because it came free with my Mac. Do you prefer drafting or revising more? Drafting. Do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? Sequential. And final quick round question. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? I'm an ambivert. Mm. People think I'm an extrovert, but I'm really an in, an introvert, like a, an imposter introvert. Okay. <laughs> I'm the three like duck nephews hiding in one big trench coat situation here, posing as an extrovert. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so the show is called Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. So now we're going to talk about the second cue. What were some of the worries that you had on your journey and did you overcome them or how did they shake out? I realize now coming into the third book that most of my worries in my journey are nothing at all that I can control. Mm -hmm. There is so much that a writer can't control in publishing. The only thing you can control is the quality of your book. That really is it. Everything else, nothing. And you worrying about it is just giving yourself an ulcer for no reason. So that was the big thing that I learned. Nice. Now it's time for the third cue. Do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that's kind of different or interesting or unique? First, I'm going to talk about the bullet journaling, Mm -hmm. which you had mentioned. Every novel that I have, I always have to have a new journal. And it's got to be a nice, pretty, shiny journal that I like that's (laughs) kind of related that you can think that's related to what the topic or the soul of your book is. And in that one, I always have a title page, characters where... I use my little printer. I've got like a tiny little printer that prints out photos into sticker form. And I put that in my bullet journal because it's a perfect size. It's a sprocket. That's what it is. Mm. 
And it's a perfect size to put in there. And I always do characters, plot. I'll do the word count, revision count, and all of that there in later. But I'm very much a visual person. So I need to have the photos, the collages, and everything in there before I even start writing. And pro tip, it honestly does help when you have a character and you've got a picture of them. And you're writing because you're like, oh my gosh, I forgot what color did they color or their <laughs> eyes again? But it's right there. Like it's right there in front of you. Just open your book and go, oh, right. They look like this. Do they have a rounded chin or a pointed chin? Open the book. Look, it's right there. Like it really helps for me to collect everything. And the best part is that when you do this and you're journaling throughout your book, you kind of have like a really nice memento at the end of the process of writing that book. The other thing that I do when I draft that I need to do as well for revising is I have carrots. And I say carrots, I mean Popeye's chicken, which means (laughs) if you reach 20,000 words, you get to go to Popeye's and have the three piece and your Cajun fries and everything. I just have to have a reward because I I need it. I need to Mm -hmm. have like that carrot dangled in front of me. So for me, for the smaller milestones, like 20,000 words or 30,000 words or whatnot. My go-to is Popeye's. But when (laughs) I'm done, I say this to my husband. I'm like, okay, let's go. We got to go get like a big meal because I'm done. Nice. But these little reward things you can also use in like a smaller form when you're drafting or revising and that you can use stickers or drawings. I think if anybody follows me on Twitter or Instagram, they could see how I do the word count. Mm-hmm. thing and that's another motivating thing to do either color in a circle every time you reach a thousand words or whatnot it's just whatever gets you to get that thing that you want done that might be slightly painful yeah definitely check out Roselle's Instagram so you can see some of that stuff and also other stuff she makes she's just really talented I sometimes when I'm really struggling I'll get like a chocolate bar And I'll have like micro goals where it's like, oh, if I write 200, 250 words, I can eat a square, you know, and then like, if I want to finish the chocolate bar that night, then I, you know, have to write a couple of thousand words. So (laughs) a friend of mine has, you know, the Girardelli squares. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she has she buys like a giant like she puts them in a jar. So every thousand words, she can take out like a square and be like, okay, I am going to eat this or whatnot. And it's like it really is kind of motivating. I'm just, I'm Mm -hmm. always for any foodie type of goals that that's, that's good for me. For some people, they will buy a purse or whatever for me. It's like feed me and that's enough. Yeah. When you were in the lowest parts of your journey, what kept you going and why did you stick to it? Every writer needs their own petty coven. And I mean this, (laughs) these are your ride and die people. These are the people that you're supposed to vent to, not social media. You don't empty your thoughts out on Twitter. That is a bad thing. These are the (laughs) people that you talk to if you're really disappointed about something or you have any grievances or, you know, if let's say your publisher slipped up and something got messed up or any other, any of these things, you've been a fan of keeping things like just you can like close to your chest and having my friends like my really close friends around to be able to talk to about this is extremely helpful. Mm. And also like I have wanted to quit. There are so many times I have said I wanted to quit and then I will have 
how many people threatening to slap my ass or my face <laughs> if I do that, if I go through with that. And that's what you need. You need people who will take care of you. Who knows? Like they know they're like, no, you can't stop writing because your books need to be out there. Mm-hmm. And it's these little things like they, you, you need friends that just watch out for you that, that just are there to vent to because writing is one of those things where it's not really a typical job. So it's not like you can go to the bar and meet. You can, I guess, nowadays to meet other writers, but it's still different. You, you have to meet ones that are basically at the same level and all of this other stuff that you're looking for. But it's like it's always good to have people that you can talk to about publishing because publishing is an extremely hard industry for anybody with mental illness or if you don't even have mental illness, it's still pretty rough and can be. Mm-hmm. What do you feel like are some of the biggest mistakes that you made on your journey to publication that you might want to warn listeners about so maybe they won't make the same ones? Sample chapters are chapters one, two, three. They are not your favorite (laughs) chapters. That is rule number one. (laughs) Yes. It's a good one. Rule number two. When you have an agent, this isn't like think of agents as marriages. Like, yeah, sure. It might work out. That first ride off to the sunset might work out and you might be together forever. But odds are people break up because you don't know how the other person's going to operate. Just like when you get married, you don't know what their communication styles are and if it's if it's something that you want. Because I know some people, when they get an agent, they're like, oh, we have to be best friends. It's, it's just the way it's supposed to be. And there are other people who are like, no. I need somebody who's just a business person. I will be cordial. I will be sweet, but I need that barrier, mm-hmm. right? It's it's one of those things where I think we should take away the stigma of people who leave agents or if it doesn't work out because it's very, very common. I know so many people who have switched agents. Yeah. All right. Can you share with listeners one of the most important lessons that you learned on your journey to publication? First one off the top of my head is have a life outside of writing. Like, I mean it. Have friends that know nothing about writing and who will just laugh at you if you start saying the words like what stat means or you have first pass page. I don't know what that is. Have those (laughs) kind of people in your life because honestly, you need the perspective because, yes, writing is very important. But if you make it just the core part of your identity... I find it to be not healthy if you if that becomes the core part of your identity because this industry is not easy. Mm-hmm. If it was an easier one, maybe it might work out better. But yeah, like just seek out friends, um, go out. You know, you don't have to be a hermit. And I say this because I'm like such a hypocrite because I stay home too. <laughs> but like, like go out, experience things. A lot of about writing is getting your readers to experience the same things you want them to experience when you're writing. And you can't do that until you're out there in the world, soaking it in. Yeah. Another lesson that I think they should do is if you are querying or if you are on submission and you are just having the worst, like we're talking dumpster fire, mental health situation, Turn on Netflix, go watch Love is Blind and the Ultimatum. That is such utter trash that it will do some sort of cleanse. It will just clear up your pores (laughs) and everything. But just basically keep busy 
Because the worst thing that you can do if you are is obsessing over your inbox. Mm-hmm. Like watch something trashy or not, or you could watch something like really good. But I like trash. I <laughs> just personally <laughs> like trash. But do that. Take a walk. Just be working on something else or doing something else. This is the reason why I have so many artistic pursuits is that I want to be able to express my creativity and to be able to show that I've made something. Sometimes a novel, you don't see it until you see it on the shelves. Mm-hmm. And that's the physical manifestation of it. But for me, like I need to do art. I need to do all of these other things. The more different things that you do, the better I think it would be for your brain because it's honestly like focusing right on that big thing that you cannot control at all is going to be the most frustrating and depressing thing for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jessica Lewis, when she was on in the first season, she shared a strategy that I really liked and I share with people a lot, especially if you're kind of the person that struggles with rejections, you know, if they've really hit you hard, what she did and what I love is she created a separate email address that was only for querying and she did not have any notifications. She didn't have it on her phone. And so she would only check it whenever she was like in a good headspace to, you know, see what was in there. And I really like that because I remember once I was out at a club and I got a rejection on the story and I just kind of like ruined my night. And so I love that she kind of controlled when she was looking at her responses to her queries. And that kind of gives me a good idea of the other thing that is a good tip. If you are a published writer, do not go on Goodreads. Have a friend, your partner, (laughs) somebody else to look at that stuff for you. And then when they're looking at that stuff, just make sure that they read you the happy things. Or the best part is that if you have a friend or like a partner that's reading through your stuff, get them to hoard all those happy things. So if you're having a hard day, they will just sit there and read you like maybe five, five star reviews or a bunch of ones that'll just, you know, be a pick me up because it's not for authors, really. I banned myself off of it and I've been (laughs) living a happier life. Without it, but yeah, you cannot control how anybody will react to your work. Like I'm talking Mm -hmm. about this as a general thing, right? But if you like, if you write a a Nazi romance, yeah, you can control how people can react to your work. Don't do it, right? But for normal people, (laughs) for normal people, you really can't. And it's just, it's just a bad thing. And the thing that I don't like is that for some people, they may think that they have to change. And if you're starting to change to please people who hate your book, you are going to alienate the people who loved your book. Mm -hmm. And those are the people who would buy your other books. So keep that in mind as well. Yeah. I call this the acknowledgements portion of the podcast. This is not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own. So who are some of the people who helped you along the way and how? My petty coven. There's so too many to name, but they're my closest friends, my family, my husband who gets me Popeye's chicken when I ask for it, because <laughs> that's important. My agent, who honestly is my partner in this. Jenny has been just absolutely amazing and continues to be amazing. And like every assistant, every person who's worked on my book, I can't really thank them enough. Like whether it's my editor's assistant or like the copy editor, all of that, like everybody that helps craft that. And like my family, like I've got a kid who 
reminds me every once in a while because I forget because sometimes you take it for granted. She's like, mom, you wrote a book. That's pretty cool. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I did. <laughs> I completely forgot about that. It keeps you in perspective. And the writing community as a whole, it's generally pretty amazing when you know, like, you know, when you pour as much of the positivity into it. Yeah. And you get it. You do get it back. Yeah. All right. Natalie Tam was one of my favorite books. But before you go, can you tell us what you have coming out next? Sophie Goes Lonely Hearts Club is releasing on August 16th of this year, 2022. It is about a matchmaker named Sophie who went to matchmaking school in Shanghai, but did not like graduate. So she came home and her basically her big shame was exposed and she can't get any clients in Toronto. And the only clients she can get are like seven, 70 something bachelors that she found in her condominium complex that she spied on. And she's like, if I can match these, these old farts, I could totally be like, (laughs) I can get my reputation back. And like what ends up happening is I don't want to spoil it, but it's, it's definitely an interesting examination or my examination of loneliness and all mm. of the forms of love that you can come across. All right. Can't wait. Roselle, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with my listeners. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Quarries, Qualms, and Quirks. You can find the text of Roselle's query in the show notes, along with links to find out more about her and her books. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate if you'd help me find new listeners by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, telling your friends, or sharing this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. That's Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.